love being a small group leader. I love being able to see how these girls have grown. I've been with a lot of them since third grade and sixth grade. And to see how they've grown in their faith and their spirituality has been a blessing to me. Having been through some of the things I know they will probably go through as a young believer, it allows me to give them just a perspective and a different focus. We've been through amazing times, we've been through rough times, but we've been through them together. It's allowed us to form a bond as a small group. It's allowed us to lean more towards God. It's allowed them to depend on God. Something I really value about small group are the deep conversations we are able to have with each other that are Christ-centered and that I can apply to school and life. Knowing that my small group is behind me and with me through every situation really helps me to go about my week with a positive attitude and be a light to students who may not ever experience Jesus. I love being a part of a small group because it gives me a place to go when I want really sound advice that's not necessarily from a parent or friends at school. And I know that everything that my small group tells me is Bible-based and is completely personal to me because they really care about me and they're really invested in my life and what I'm going through. And I really appreciate that. Seeing the girls grow spiritually together, they text each other Bible verses, they send motivational texts to each other. When I see them do life that way, it's really why I love being their small group leader. Knowing that my small group leaders are there for me and praying for me even when I don't ask them to and constantly encouraging me and giving me advice really gives me a perspective on how to go about serving students in my school and is really an amazing thing to have in my life. The biggest thing about being part of a small group is always having people there for you. No matter what you're going through, you always have someone you can talk to. Well, good morning, family. How are you? Hey, can we do something really cool? We have that jib right here. Can we zoom out and uh, say hello to every other campus? Is that cool? We do this with one night. I thought I'd just throw them for a loop here real quick. All right, they see us here. Everyone sees us. At the count of three, say hello, everybody. We love you. Awesome, thank you for indulging me in that. That's just a little youth ministry thing. My name is John Holm. I'm the student pastor for Seacoast, and it is an honor and privilege to to be speaking to you this morning. Um, but before I do that, I would like to, to have everyone who works with students in, in custom, small group leader or one night, um, if you could stand at our campuses and at this campus as well. If you could stand real quick, we would just love to honor you and say thank you for investing into a generation. <laughs> love it, love it. The importance of this day, student takeover, um, isn't just to give the youth pastor an opportunity to speak you know, once a year, but it really is um, to invest into and really is to put on our radars and continue to put on our radars the importance of investing into a generation. This generation needs prayer, doesn't it? This generation needs encouragement. This generation needs wisdom and sages um, to come alongside and speak into their life. And so that's the importance of this day is really just to, to celebrate and uh, to keep on our radars the importance and what these students are walking through and what they need. What you didn't see and hear in the video that was shown to all of our campuses about the small group was that particular small group, four young ladies had lost their fathers this year. That's just a, that's, that's a, that's a heavy thing to carry as anybody, but um, they had 
a family they could hold on to. And that small group became their family, became their, their circle of, of trust and their circle of, of care. And uh, it was just an amazing, amazing, that, that group just came around those girls and uh, they just came around each other. And, it's just, and that's why the beauty of small groups is so important um, because we, we can't do that from a stage. Can't, but we can do it in the circles. And they're better than rows, right? <laughs> so have you ever heard of the term blue zone? Anybody ever heard of the term blue zone? No. It was coined in, I think, 2005 when National Geographic did a um, story about blue zone areas. And the definition of blue zone areas are really, they are um, areas that were described where people lived the longest. And one of those areas, they kind of pinpointed five, but one of those areas was Okinawa, Japan. And uh, they were said to have lived seven years longer than the average American. So they did studies on their diet and they did studies on their health habits and uh, you know, some of their diet and health habits where they ate until 80% full. Um, they ate on smaller plates. That just would not fly for me. And, uh, and they also did, they had a few social constructs where, that, that were associated with their longevity and, and they had an intentional setup to where from birth until death, at birth they were put into groups, small groups. Those groups were called Moai. Say Moai. Moai. Did anybody know what a Moai was? All right. They, from birth until death, they were in this group. So they grew up and they grew old together. And they also had a very different attitude towards retirement than Americans did. Do you know what they called retirement? You probably don't because you didn't know what a blue zone was and you didn't know what a Moai was. So I'll just tell you, they didn't have a word and they don't have a word for retirement. The word that they, they use for their life and the word that they, they really can kind of maybe associate with getting older is, is a word called ikigai. It's okay to, to snicker if you want to, ikigai. It's, it's, it's not the ikigai sitting next to you. It's, it's I-K-I-G-A-I. And this is what it means. The reason for which you wake up in the morning. Here's the simple truth. If, if I don't create a compelling vision of my future and for my future, I will end up just recreating my past. So what's your icky guy? Not who is your icky guy. What's your icky guy? I'll tell you mine. My icky guy, and it's been driving me for 20 years, I've been in youth ministry 20 years, and it's been driving me for 20 years of youth ministry. My icky guy is to make hell regret I said yes to Jesus. My, my ministry icky guy is to make it hard for teenagers in our city to go to hell. That's what drives me. That's what fuels me. That's why I get up in the morning. Now granted, my family is on the front burner and, and they, are, they are what motivate me. But there's also another thing in my life that God has called me to be a part of and God has called me to do. So my heart breaks for what I call an Esau generation. And if you remember Jacob and Esau, Esau sold his birthright for what? A bowl of soup, why? Because there was a physical hunger, a physical desire that got the better of him, and he's like, I'm so hungry, I'll give you, oh, sure, you can have my birthright, you can have the blessing of God upon my life, fine. And what I'm seeing in a younger generation, and not even necessarily just a younger generation, what I'm seeing in, in culture is I'm seeing that the physical desires and the physical hungers are getting the better of a generation and they're desiring the physical 
hungers and the physical desires over spiritual blessing, which really what Galatians calls is a spirit and flesh struggle. It's a spirit and flesh fight. And what I see, and I've kind of, kind of coined this for the generation I have the, the privilege and the honor to work with, it's this, this spirit and flesh fight which leads to the statement that Paul says in Romans that the thing that I wanna do, I find myself not doing, and the thing that I don't wanna do, I find myself doing. It's kind of the tongue twister of scripture, right? But what I see in this generation is great intentions. I wanna be better, I wanna read my Bible, I wanna live for the Lord, but, but the flesh gets the better of me at times, and sometimes most of the time. So my icky guy really drives me to help a generation learn how to fight, to stand up and live for the Lord. So in this week's reading, um, came across a verse that really points to a distinct purpose. And what's really cool, I'll let you in on a little, little um, personal side note, is uh, I've had this message kind of stirring in my heart for about a year. Um, but then when we decided to do the year in the word and kind of every, every speaker had to speak within the, the verses that we were talking about, you know, I was like, oh, no way, no way the verse that I wanna use is gonna even land on the week that I'm gonna speak. And so I'm emailing and, and texting um, those who are kind of putting the plans together. I'm like, hey, you know, when's the plan gonna come out? I wanna get ahead of the game, you know, you know, being annoying to them. And then when my week came, I was reading through the verses and I saw Psalm 45 as one of the chapters. And that, the verse that I wanna talk about this morning was in Psalm 45, verse 16. I was like, you gotta be kidding me, guy, that's so cool. So all my preparation, I didn't have to prepare something new. Um, the verse says this, set your mind now on sons. Don't dote on father and grandfather. You'll set your sons up as princes all over the earth. The psalmist is encourage, encouraging us to think generationally, to set up our sons, to set up our daughters, to build for the future. And our true calling, our, our spiritual ikigai, if you will, is not to build kingdoms, personal kingdoms, but it's to train kings and queens. Franklin Roosevelt says this, we cannot always build the future for our youth, but we can build our youth for the future. We will either set up or set back future generations through our faith choices, through our lifestyle choices, through our cultural habits, and through our morality, we will set up or set back generations. So thinking generationally means thinking about ceilings, and floors, and our ceiling is the next generation's floor. So my ceiling becomes the next generation's floor. And, and uh, I had this idea when, we, when I saw this verse and then wanted to kind of illustrate the pillars that we can make strong in our life that will, will kind of illustrate what we, need, what we need to have strong in our life for the next generation to stand upon. And, and so I spent a lot of time working on these illustrations for you. I just want you to know that, that um, I'm not necessarily, I'm a creative person, but I'm not a crafty person. Does that make sense? And so um, I spent four trips to Hobby Lobby. <laughs> Never been to Hobby Lobby in my entire life. There's a lot of stuff in Hobby Lobby. I'm like walking through the aisles going, ooh. My, creative, like, my creativeness just went like, we could do this and this and this. And I've got some people on my team who are in Hobby Lobby all the time because they're the creative ones who like the crafty ones, you know. And, and uh, so to illustrate this, this uh, what you see is the platform. And really, we need to have strong faith for the next generation to stand on. But these pillars will illustrate how we make that faith strong and, and to build a faith that lasts generations. And some of you know my story that I came here from planting a church and, and uh, 
Seacoast had called me and asked if I would head up the student ministries for all of Seacoast. And um, when it snows in May, you hear the voice of God pretty clearly that it's time to go where there's palm trees and not just evergreen trees, you know, and, and it's time to go where there's white sand and not white stuff on the ground that's cold. And, uh, but in my church planting journey, uh, we, we parachuted into this community that we knew no one. And one of my ideas was to visit every church and check out their services and just to make sure that we weren't planting the same church in the community because I, I didn't wanna do that and, I, and that's not, that wasn't my heart. But then I also wanted to meet with every pastor in that community to ask their permission. Would, could we have your blessing to be a part of this? You've been here before us and we don't wanna assume that we are any better. Uh, we just wanna reach people. And so met with every pastor and met with a particular pastor who was there for 27 years, the longest pastor in that community. And we were asking him to kind of be a, a spiritual brother, uncle to us and uh, asked him how we could pastor a community. It was a town of 19,000, not very large. How can we pastor this community? And he said something that really, it set heavy on my heart. He said, I'm praying for you. Now that didn't set heavy, I was hoping because he's a pastor, you better be praying, right? So I said, thank you, uh, we need it. And he goes, no, I'm praying that you can do what my church doesn't wanna do anymore. That hit me hard. I'm praying that you can do what my church doesn't wanna do anymore. And in that moment, I saw a brokenness of a pastor. And months later, he had left. But in that moment, I saw that his ceiling became my floor. Every generation has a ceiling. Mine, yours, my children's, your children's. And this is not a parenting message. So please, uh, don't check out. Please don't check out. Because I believe there's something for every one of us. Whatever age and 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 place in life you find yourself, I believe there's something for you if you just lean in. And this isn't just a message for an older generation and this isn't just a message for a younger generation, this is, this is for everyone. And knowing that we need to build strong ceilings, here are the four pillars that I'd love to present to us. To build a faith that lasts generations, it must be personal. It starts with me. I've gotta own my relationship with God. I can't, I can't hold on to somebody else's. I need to, I need to have a relationship and I need to, to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. And every generation has a personal decision to make. And that decision is, will I serve God or will I serve self? Will I serve the Lord or will I serve self? Will I be like Esau in those moments and, and, and succumb to those physical, and those, those physical hungers and those physical desires? Or will I, will I be able to fight and will I be able to put God first and, and serve the Lord? Satan may shift his seductions from generation to generation as we've noticed that. We, all, we always say that uh, you know, um, a lot of the, the things that our students face now, we didn't necessarily face them when I was a kid, I didn't have a phone. If I wanted to find out where my friends were, I saw a pile of bikes in someone's yard, you know, versus now FOMO. You ever heard of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. I mean, that's something that has like become a clinical diagnosis that, that students are, are, are facing where they're scrolling through their, their feeds and going, why was I not a part of that? And depression sinks in. So every generation, Satan, he will shift his seductions but self is where he wants to keep us. And here's what self means, Satan's exact location forever. And a person wrapped up in their own selves makes for a very small gift. 
So the greatest impact that you can have on a generation today, generations following you, granted, listen, my son and my daughters, they have generations following them that are looking up to them. So it, everyone has a generation looking up. The greatest impact that we can make is to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. That changes everything. That changes the way you live. That changes the way you make your, your, your decisions. That changes the way that you love your spouse. That changes the way that you love your kids. Changes the way that you work. It changes the way that you hang out with your friends. To have a personal encounter with Christ that changes everything. We can't take or lead a generation where we have never been ourselves. I, I say that to our, our leaders all the time when I do some trainings, that we need to be where we wanna take the students. And, and we've gotta get out in front. We've gotta go in our devotions, in our relationship with God. We can never take anybody where we've never been. And we can't pass on what we don't possess. And so the next generation needs to see us pursue Jesus with passion. They need to see our, our countercultural lifestyle. They need to see that it, it, we can go against the cultural streams and the cultural norms. And they need to see that we can create a new culture. And they need to see, most importantly of, of all this, they need to see that Jesus is enough. That Jesus is enough when there's no more money in the bank account, that Jesus is enough, when we got a diagnosis that just got us shook up, that Jesus is enough, when someone went wayward, that Jesus is enough. They need to see that Jesus is the rock that we stand upon and nothing else. So are my decisions setting up or setting back those who are around me? Our decisions are influential, they affect others' behaviors and they affect others' opinions. Our lives are an illustration. They're an example. First Timothy 4.12 is one of our key verses and it says, be an example to all believers in what you say, the way you live, your love, your faith, and your purity. Our lives are that example. How we speak, how we're living, how we love others, and our faith and our purity. And I also share this with uh, our leaders as well because um, it's, just, it's kind of a good reminder when we do some of our trainings that what we may have the maturity to do in moderation, a generation who is still learning maturity will look at that and do an excess. So what we do in moderation, they may do in excess. So to always be careful who is watching us and observing us and mimicking us. Decisions are easy if you know what we value. They're easy to make if we know what we value and we hold on to those values. So to build a faith that lasts generations, we have to make it personal. It has to be yours. To build a faith that lasts the generations, we must prioritize church. Make church a priority. Practice it persistently and consistently. Individually, if you don't have a family, Start now as an individual, making your relationship with God a priority. As a family, begin to have this, this, maybe this icky guy for your life that as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. There are many things that will compete with church. There are many things, I mean, we live in a very busy culture right now, don't we? I've got three kids, uh, a teenager, almost teenager, and a six-year-old diva. Um, <laughs> Straight up, straight up diva. And it's just, it's just fun sometimes, just like <laughs> having to parent that one. <laughs> but 
we've become chauffeurs now. And we, they used to fit our rhythm. And now we're trying to figure out their rhythm. And uh, it's just busy. And there's many things that will distract us, but fight to make church a priority. My family fought to make, my, my parents fought to make church a priority. And yes, um, at one point, my dad wasn't a pastor and then became a pastor, and I'll get into that in a, in a second. But create generational precedents. Create a generational precedence. And, and something that breaks my heart, and I, I'm not saying that it, it happens here, but it's happened in previous youth ministries. I've been in this thing 20 years, and it, it's, it's happened, it's come you know, across my life, is don't keep your kids from church in a disciplinary manner. Don't discipline them from church. If, if they mess up and they, and they do something wrong, and we know there's a lot of times for discipline, right, students? Uh, we deserve most of what we get. Um, and and I'm, I'm not standing up here saying I was a perfect teenager. Oh my goodness, I was not a perfect teenager. Um, and I've learned my lessons and I've had those moments where my parents were correct in every disciplinary, disciplinary moment. But don't keep them from church. Keep them from the fun things. Yeah, if we're doing a, a trip to Carowinds, don't go. If we're doing worship and a message and we're doing a service where they can, they can encounter God don't keep them from that. Church is not like a cell phone or a TV privilege. It's a significant loss. And the best place for us to be is in the presence of God, where life is changed, where attitudes are changed, where they can change. And what would happen if, if you got into an argument with your child and, and, and then they went to church and, and God spoke to their heart and they had a, a, a 180 turnaround. They just, they, they just made a complete turnaround and they came home and they apologized. That would be an act of God, right? <laughs> it can happen. It can happen if it's priority. It can happen. I believe it can happen. I will stand on that for you. I've had many parents um, sit across my desk and we'd have to do counseling situations. And, and a lot of times, um, some of the biggest needs, nine out of 10 times, parents are wanting friendships for their kids. That's probably the biggest one versus a drug issue or, or other addiction issues that they're, they're facing. It's, it's can, can you help my, my, my son or my daughter just have healthy friends? And, and other times is, can you fix my, my child? And uh, newsflash, I can't. I cannot fix. I can't make your son or your daughter fall in love with Jesus but we can arrange a date. We can arrange a date. We can create an environment where they can fall in love with Jesus. We can have those moments where uh, we have altar times where our students rush the altar and, and they're praying. We can have moments where they can hear the voice of God, but it must be a priority. Custom doesn't exist just to keep middle school and high school students out of trouble. It exists to launch them into following Jesus for the rest of their life. So to, to build a, a faith that lasts generations, we've gotta make it personal. We need to prioritize church. We need to pass it on. You can tell that I, uh, I did my own work, can't you? A little, little crooked. We have to pass it on. Proclaim it passionately. They need to see it in us. They need to hear it. They, need to, they, they, they can't just hear stories. They need to see Jesus. And, and uh, we don't want them just to, to, to just know the stories, we want them to know God. And generations are formed by the culture and the environment in which they exist. And so if we don't teach this generation to have, and I'm gonna emphasize, to have biblical convictions, 
Biblical convictions, if we don't teach them to, to have convictions, they're going to be captivated and captured by culture. They need to learn to have convictions. Our faith must live beyond us. Students, your faith must live beyond you. It's, we're a generation away from extinction of, of our faith and some families have probably even seen this in their life and our campuses are even here. You may even have that experience in your own family right now that, that, that no one may be living for the Lord or some countries have, have seen this and Psalm 78 says this, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. Two words jumped out to me. Did two words jump out to you as well? Tell and teach. Tell and teach. It's a, it's, it is a, a biblical uh, description and a biblical uh, request and a mandate for each generation to tell and teach another. Now there's a few things that uh, I'm reminded of that my parents told and taught me and, and maybe you guys might identify with, with these. My parents taught me about logic when they said, because I said so, that's why. Um, my mom taught me about contortionism when she said, would you look at the dirt on the back of your neck? My parents taught me how to meet a challenge when they said, answer me when I'm talking to you. Don't talk back to me. My mom taught me about patience when she would say, just wait until your father gets home. <laughs> and I had a lot of those moments to learn about patience. <laughs> my parents taught me about prayer when my mom would say, you better pray that comes out. <laughs> and I think all of us would identify with this one. My parents taught me about justice when I would hear them say, <clears throat> one day you'll have kids. <laughs> and I hope they turn out just like you. And it is becoming so true, mom, it is so true. But seriously, I'm a product, you're a product, we're all a product of someone's investment in our life. And maybe multiple someone's investment and someone's decision in our life. I'm reminded of my father when I, he taught me how to pray. He taught me how to hear the voice of God. He taught me how to surrender to the voice of God when he gave up an amazing job in Kansas to the State Board of, State Board of Agriculture in Kansas and um, walked into full-time ministry, learning how to hear God's voice and in turn, hearing God's voice for my own life to go into to ministry. But he taught me how to pray and, and uh, I remember when I first got called into ministry, um, telling him, Dad, I wanna shadow you. I wanna follow you, I wanna do what you do, and I wanna learn everything. If I'm gonna do this thing, I need to, like, I need to hang out with you and, and learn this thing. And, and he goes, all right, I'll wake you up in the morning and, and uh, we'll, get, we'll get the day started. I said, great. So the next morning, he comes into my room at four in the morning. And he said, let's go pray. I said, dad, I'm gonna hang out with the youth pastor. Is that cool? <laughs> four in the morning, he, the youth guy gets up at 12. We're good. I'll go hang out with him. I learned from my mom how to love people. My mom has a deep love for people. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. She loves you. She's just crazy that way. She just loves you. And I learned from her, she, we would have, her gift is hospitality. She would have people over our house all the time. And we would have, they would pray for them as they would leave. And I just would learn how to love people from my mom. I learned from my teachers. I learned from friends. I learned from my small group leaders when I was a kid, Rick and Sue Nurnberg. I still get, I learned from them 
the power of presence. And I still get birthday cards from them and I'm 40 years old. There's no money in them. Now don't judge me because I know when you guys get cards, you kind of shake it to see if anything falls out and then you go to the envelope to see if it like slipped out of the envelope. But I still get a birthday card from them at 40 from my, small, my teenage small group leaders. I learned from my, my youth pastor and I walked through a few youth pastors when I was a student, and, but I learned how to own my own faith and honor my parents and put purity as a priority and how to have a hunger for God. Proverbs says that we grow wise by walking with the wise. I would love to encourage this church to walk alongside a younger generation. Let them learn, let them see scars, let them learn from you. We're trying to teach a generation to walk wisely in a very foolish world. And, but unfortunately in this screen age generation, we've left the telling and the teaching to YouTube. Google has become the, the standard go-to gospel. What this generation needs is face to face. They need life on life. No more screen. A great picture of discipleship, I think, is, is if we all had in our life spiritual fathers, brothers, and sons, spiritual mothers, sisters, daughters. I'm searching for a spiritual father. I have a physical father who is an amazing mentor to me as well, but I'm also looking for spiritual fathers in my life. I'm looking for great friends, brothers, that I can, I can walk life with and, and expose my life to and my struggles to. I'm also looking for spiritual sons. I have my own son, I have my own daughters, but I'm also looking for spiritual sons to pour life into so that they would grow up fearing the Lord. And Deuteronomy gives a great teach and tell template of how to look for teachable moments in life and creating a rhythm in your life, in your family, and even in your mentorship of, of others. And it's on your notes, but I'm just gonna kinda highlight it real quick. It talks about in the morning when you get up. And here's the role that you can play, and this isn't original. Um, we got this from a, um, a curriculum that we use. The role you can play as a coach, how you can communicate is encouraging words, and the goal is to instill purpose every morning, instill purpose into that, that next generation that's following you. And the travel time, when you're traveling, the role you can play as a friend and your communication style can be informal dialogue, just you know, kind of popcorn stuff, and the goal is just to help interpret life. When you have a meal together, the role you can play as teacher, how you can communicate is formal discussion, and the goal is to establish values. Again, this isn't like the be all end all, but it's just maybe to help some of us have a, have a platform. And then bedtime, and for all of us parents in this, in this room, especially parents of, of, of kids who can carry on conversations, bedtime becomes this, this, this time of night where conversation actually gets deep, doesn't it? It's like your, your children all of a sudden open up, <laughs> which, is, which is that struggle because that's when you wanna like decompress. And I've had many moments of conviction. Well, every night I've been convicted by the Holy Spirit and my wife. But um, I've had many moments of conviction because my kids are wanting to just explore and expose life and intimacy, build intimacy, and I'm like, and I love you, love you, I'll pray for you, you know, and I'm like, what are you thinking, bro? Be here, be present, be here, be here. I have to keep reminding myself, I'm not, I'm not perfect, I'm horrible at it, because I'm selfish. <laughs> and I, I wanna decompress, and I just wanna hang out, I just wanna, you know, just, I've had a big day. But I keep being reminded that these are the moments where intimacy with my kids is built. Those are the moments where my role is counselor, and my role 
uh, is to build that intimacy with my kids. And so I fight the selfishness and I dive in. So to, to build a faith that lasts a generation, that we can have strong foundations and strong pillars in our life, we've gotta make it personal. We've gotta prioritize church. We need to pass it on and we need to build it upon prayer. Have to build it upon prayer. Proving it powerfully to those following us. At our campuses and in this room, how many are a product of a praying parent or a praying grandparent? Let me see your hands. You are a product of someone who did not give up, who did not cheapen, and I feel like sometimes we cheapen prayer. Sometimes it's a, you know, God get me out of this, God help with this, boom, we're done. But you're a product of someone who did not cheapen prayer, who did not give up, and they spent time, and probably a lot of time, and probably a lot of other things praying for you. We need that for a generation following us. Not just for our physical kids, but for our spiritual kids. We need that. We need God to show up in this generation. Like never before, they need to see his power. The same power that rose him from the grave, they need to know that it lives in them. And they need to see it in us. We need to see chains broken. We need to see hearts changed. And when I'm looking for leaders, I always tell them, they always say, John, I'm too old. No, 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 no. No, you're not. John, I'm not cool enough. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just because I cut my hair like this doesn't mean that I'm cool. <laughs> I'm just trying to fit in. Really, I'm just cutting all the grays out. <laughs> no. What I'm looking for in a leader is will you pray for the kids God's entrusted us? Will you pray for the kids that God has entrusted us? They need it, they need it, and they need to know someone is fighting for them. This generation is carrying a burden, and when we grab the prayer requests off the cross every weekend in our student environments, some of the requests would curl your toes, would curl your hair, would just, whatever, would, would just cause you to break. And a lot of those requests are for you. My dad lost a job. I don't know what my family's gonna do. My parents are fighting. I don't know what to do. God, be, be my vision. I'm dealing with this addiction. I'm dealing with this. My family's going through this. My grand... And then there's some of the decisions that they've made that they're just regretting, regretting, regretting. And they're saying, God, please help me to forget this. Please help me to move past this. They're carrying burdens that they shouldn't carry yet, right? They shouldn't carry it yet, but they are. And they need us to pray. Prayer is doing more than you know because God is doing more than you can see. So pray, pray, pray. Let me offer a challenge to us, a 110-100 challenge. One day a week, 10 minutes a day, 100 days of, of investment. Would you pray for this generation? Would you pray for this student ministry? Would you pray that God would just pour his spirit out upon a generation and that they would be wholeheartedly chasing after him and not what culture wants them to chase after? I wanna show you a picture real quick and it's of the tallest building in the world of, it's called the Burj Khalifa. Yes, I got that right, in Dubai. Isn't it beautiful? It's gorgeous. Look at all the buildings around it, they're just dwarfed by it. 2,700 feet, actually 2,717 feet, square feet, I'm not square feet, you know what I'm talking about. 
163 floors. Foundation has 192 supporting columns filled with cement, five feet wide, 164 feet deep. And on top, another 12 feet of cement that hold the posts together. And they're able to build above the ground of that. Last year, 1.8 million people visited this building and they went to the sky deck to look down and see this view. Out of the 1.8 million people that, that went to this building, how many of those people do you think celebrated the foundation of this building? How many people got up to that top and went, woo, 192 columns? I don't think anybody celebrated the foundation of that building. And here's the thing, much of what we do to set up future generations, much of the decisions we make, much of the choices we make, much of the, the, the shifting of our calendars and the lifestyle choices we make to set up a generation will be hidden. They will never see it, but it still needs to happen. I think of David in the Bible, King David, known as probably the greatest king that every king following him had to kind of be compared against. And his, his life epitaph was a man after God's own heart. But I think about King David when, when God told him that you will not see the temple being built. You will not be the one to build it. Your son, Solomon, will build it. David had a choice, serve God or self, pout or provide. He chose to provide. He began to gather people around David. He began to gather the, the, the supplies around David. He, he began to set, not David, Solomon. He began to set Solomon up, set his future up. So many times we want to put focus on what we're building, my kingdom, my stuff. But what is being said in this verse is to set our minds now on sons, to set our minds now on daughters, to set our minds upon sons and daughters, to set them up, not set them back. In the way I live, in my love, my faith, and my purity, may I set you up, succeed. I don't want accomplishments, I want successors. Set my mind now on sons and our true calling, our biblical mandate, our icky guy, our spiritual icky guy, and so we're not here to build kingdoms, we're here to train kings and queens. I love you guys. Obedience changes a generation. And they need a strong ceiling to stand on to be their floor. They need a strong ceiling to be their floor. And much of the efforts that, that we make to set up future generations, they're not celebrated right away. Matter of fact, the younger generations, they're, they're probably not even thinking to celebrate us, to say thank you sometimes. But that's not why we do it. That's not why we do that. And sometimes they're only noticed if they're compromised or they fail. And so I, I, have, a, I have a question to ask us, church, um, to ask you guys, that which pillar can we afford to lose? And we have a service coming up here and I'm already a little bit over, so you need to answer me quickly because we need to move on. Which pillar can we afford to lose? We can't afford to lose any. We've gotta make this personal. We've gotta have a relationship with Jesus Christ that people see. We've gotta prioritize church and prioritize our relationship with him. We need to pass it on and we need to be praying. Guys, you can give them a hand if you can.
I want to be a builder. I wanna be a builder, not a critic. I don't wanna look at the, the generation following me saying, you know what, you used the wrong two by four. I wanna help them get the materials they need to build the right foundation. I wanna be in their life. I wanna be speaking life into their lives. I wanna be a builder, not a critic. I wanna honor the past. I wanna teach them to honor the past and live for today, but to build for the future. They will be our legacy. So what's your icky guy? What gets you up in the morning? What, what gives you uh, meaning for your life? I encourage you, if you don't know what that is, to, to, to seek God and to find what that is that will drive you. So where do you find yourself this morning, church? Campuses, friends? What pillar do you need to strengthen in your life? Maybe it's making it personal, and we can do that this morning. We can make that decision to follow Christ. And if I were to ask you a survey of A, B, C, where do you find yourself with God? A, I already have a relationship. B, I wanna begin a relationship. C, I wanna consider it. Where would you fill it in? And if it's B, we can do that this morning. You wanna begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, we can do that this morning. And if you say, hey, I already, already have a relationship, my prayer for you is that you would make it deeper. If you say C, I wanna consider that, I would say, hang with us a little bit. Stay with us and meet people who love Jesus, who aren't perfect, but they love Jesus. Or maybe it's prioritizing your relationship and prioritizing church. Maybe you need to make a decision with some calendar stuff and you need to, you know, you know what? I need, to, I, need to, I need to dig in and make this thing real. Or what about passing on your faith to the next generation? I have a couple things that we can do, a couple steps that you could do that. One is getting involved in our kids and, and student ministries. We always, at all of our campuses, even here, we need people involved in, in student ministries. We just do small group leader one nights. We have shallow ends of the pool to the deep end. Um, however, whatever. Another area that you can get involved is helping a student go to camp. There's gonna be a number on the screen and each year, um, we have multiple needs of, of requests for scholarships. And, and camp really is a place that really, for me, it was, it, was, it was instrumental in my life, getting me out of my context of, of influence and getting me into where I could really hear the voice of God and, and just be exposed to, to, to more things of God. And, and every year we have so many needs of, of uh, students who wanna go but just can't. And would love if the if Lord lays that on your heart, we have a very simple way to do that. There's two ways. You can go to our website, which is camp.fyi, and it's on the back of, everything's on the back of your guest guide. Or you can text to give. And really, sometimes when we ask for a scholarship, they see the, the whole amount and people go, I can't do that. And I don't ever wanna, I don't ever wanna be an obligation to anybody. Uh, what I wanna do is just to make bite-sized steps for people to, to be a part and play a part and invest into a generation. And so if you feel compelled to do that, um, no obligation, if you feel compelled to do that, there is a, an area you can text, and you can text any amount, five bucks, 20 bucks, any amount. It will help a student experience life at camp this year. We don't wanna say no to anyone. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for um, indulging me and, and listening, and uh, I pray that this landed on someone's heart. Um, because whenever I speak, it really is what God is doing in me, and I just get to share what God's doing in me to you. And so, 
Thank you, I love you, let me pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your call upon our life. We thank you for your call upon the generations following us. And Lord, we pray that um, we would begin to prioritize and make, make it personal and learn to pass it on and spend more time with you in prayer. And I pray for every person, the sound of my voice, that we would have an, an icky guy moment, a, a moment with you that uh, we would make hell regret we said yes to Jesus. That there is purpose in our life and in our steps and in our meaning. And we would make hell regret we said yes to the Lord. And I pray that upon everyone hearing this prayer, Lord, we love you. And I pray for the generations following us that God, they would see in us the example set before them that they would chase after you and nothing else. We love you. In your name I pray, amen.